All right, welcome to another episode of the Speech Entropy Podcast today with Lucy Young. Hi, Lucy, how are you doing? Oh, good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm very well, very well. Uh, excited for this conversation. Um, you know, we always uh, have kind of the same question at the beginning, which, which is, you know, sort of say an icebreaker question uh, in order to get to know who is it that we're really talking to. Uh, and I always say, um, you know, to founders and people that we have on the podcast to take their time <laughs> because I, for me personally, and I think also for a lot of people listening, this is like the most interesting question. And it's really about like who, like, you know, what, what's your background? Where are you coming from? Please tell us, you know, who's Lucy? How did you end up where you are today? Of course. So, um, yeah, my name is Lucy Jung. I did innovation design engineering at Imperial College and Royal College of Arts. Um, so my background is actually coming from industry design and um, working on the medical devices using technology or um, system innovation. Um, I first kind of got into medical technology after doing a product design for a while is because uh, the technology that can be used to improve the quality of life for long-term conditions or, you know, incurable diseases are like significant. So one of the new projects that we worked on um, back in uh, at university was uh, developing a device for uh, multiple sclerosis. And I believe um, at that time, we used a very, very simple technology to improve uh, the, the vision for people with um, MS really kind of inspired me to use all of my skills and knowledge to help people with long-term conditions. From then onwards, um, I really got into um, helping people with Parkinson's. The first time I met with someone with Parkinson's, he was mentioning about how he's very happy for people think he's angry all the time because uh, of Parkinson's, he lost his smile. Um, and since then, our aim was to bring back smiles back for people with Parkinson's. And we've been working on a medical device to improve the movement symptoms for people with Parkinson's and also um, software application to uh, track the symptoms of Parkinson's to give better insight to people with Parkinson's around them and healthcare professionals so that we can give more tailored, uh, better care for individuals. Um, we started um, our business in 2019, and it's been a quite a, like a crazy journey. Um, we started with another co-founder who is a medical doctor, and um, now we are about 35 team members um, going from South Korean uh, um, branch to Shaco uh, uh, UK. Very interesting. Uh, I'm always intrigued to um, you know dive deeper into the. Um you know, a moment where an idea kind of gets to life because, you know, there's the saying that, um, you know, ideas are kind of like cheap and that everything is like execution. And I think there is, hypothetically speaking, nothing wrong with, with that statement, right? But the thing is, at the same time, I believe that it's it's actually very rare to have good or it's it's not easy to have good ideas, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's easy to have good, good ideas kind of like, you know, Obviously, if, if you come up with an idea, you think it's good, right? But there's so many stages of validating it, right? And whether other people yes, find it interesting absolutely. and whether you can transfer that into a product and then, absolutely. you know, all the aspects around, you know, making it economically viable. So let's yeah. dive into kind of the early days of, of, of you know, uh, of the business. How did you meet your yeah. co-founder? How did you come up with the idea for the, the business? Um, you know, all, all the details. 
I think that's a really great question when it comes to how did you come up with an idea and like, you know, execution and everything is really important. I have to say that it really kind of goes down to whether you can find the insight into what people are saying or not. And I say this because where did we actually start um, Q1 devices? Actually, someone with um, Parkinson's, I've been talking with him for a while and I was just kind of listening to what kind of problem that he sees, what kind of needs that he have. And one of the questions that I always ask them is what kind of things make them kind of, what kind of things help them basically? And what kind of things make their symptoms worse? And then if you kind of collate all of them, it really gives you a great insight into what kind of things may be beneficial for other courts as well. So one of the things that this gentleman was saying is when he sits on a massage chair, his symptoms get much more better. Mm. I could have just said like, okay, like it's a massage chair. Maybe they're a bit more relaxed. But instead of that, I got really, really inspired. I was thinking, why is it that the massage chair was relieving his uh, symptoms? And can this be translated to other um, Parkinson's patients? Um, so I really started kind of digging into what was it that the massage chair is doing and what can it do further? And that kind of led on to studying a lot about stimulations and how mechanical non-invasive stimulation that is you know, non-invasive can help um, more people with Parkinson's. So at that time, we started developing lots of prototype, testing out lots of things, and throughout that progress, I, I knew uh, my co-founder already for a long time, but at that time, I've been getting advice on what kind of uh, measures can we have to uh, basically uh, evaluate Parkinson's symptoms. And it was one of these things um, called Unified Parkinson's Disease Rating Scale that it used for intervention studies in clinic that he recommended um, together with timed up and go or a tapping task. Uh, for me to almost use those to evaluate the technology. So it was um, like we were still at university really working on the research project, talking with lots and lots of people with Parkinson's to understand further and developing. So as you mentioned, I believe that we probably worked on more than like hundreds of um, uh, prototyping. And to date, um, the reason why Q1 is called Q1 is because we are still working on an improvement of how can we make the device better. And throughout the whole process, we talk with people who we are designing for, which is people with Parkinson's and people around them, to um, ask them, like, what else can we do? How can we improve a bit more? Um, so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's about execution. Like, where do we find the insight? Where do we get an idea? And how do we actually you know, make that, how do we validate it, verify it, um, and it's constant kind of look when you're developing a new product. Yeah, so, and, you know, especially, I think it's very difficult to, um, you know, because it takes a lot of time, exactly what you said, right, testing, building prototypes, etc., all these things, and then, you know, you potentially have a product that, you know, might have functionalities that could help a specific, you know, user, patient, whatever. Um, but transforming that actually into a business case is, again, a different story, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, really about this, um, uh, th this, this, let's say, point in time where you started to say like, okay, you know, we're actually going to be starting a business. 
we are going to be needing, you know, we're going to be in need of funds in order to really, you know, kind of get things further. Obviously, in the beginning, you can do things on the side, but then, you know, you need to make a decision, devote yourself to. So let's talk about, you know, eventually this, you know, the the economic side of, of building a business, right? So you need resources. Let's, let's do that. Yeah. So um, I remember the projects that we first did um, started getting lots of attention from the media and people with Parkinson's asking us like, um, so like, when can we buy the device? And at that time, I still remember kind of replying to them about, you know, um, you know, we are researchers and developers. Uh, we never thought about actually doing something with this um, as a business. But I had a kind of a great lesson as a, um, uh, kind of personal story where I kind of got unwell myself when I realized that actually if you found something that can help people with long-term conditions you have to actually you know as you mentioned execute it like make it real so I did a survey at the end of all the prototype developing um, and when we had a, basically a proof of concept did a research um, well survey to people with Parkinson's asking if this is something that they would want us to work on and 97 percent of people have came back to us saying like yes please work on this project and you can't ignore that right so um i started kind of thinking okay now what do we do we have this brilliant kind of like potential um i went into like imperial uh, accelerator program uh, enterprise lab and started learning about what how do we take this uh, project into um uh, actual product from then onwards, I kind of went into lots of accelerators or incubators and lots of kind of um, uh, basically courses so that I can learn more about business. Um, but in the beginning, I have to say that uh, I met with one of the first, very first mentor and I sat across him and I said, you know what, like, I don't feel like I'm going to be a good CEO. And the mentor who is a, who was a director of Imperial Innovations was saying, why do you say that? And I said, well, I'm, I'm really not interested in like making lots of money by doing the business. And my interest is in elsewhere. And he asked me, what, what do you think is a good CEO? And I said, well, people who have a vision and responsibility. And, you know, I believe that it will be quite difficult. So uh, people who are quite... Um, and persistent will be um, a good CEO in my view. And he said, that's exactly three things that you need to be a great CEO, not just a good CEO. And I was uh, sitting there thinking, you know what, if it's those three things, I can definitely do that. <laughs> um, so from then onwards, I was just constantly working on uh, learning more about business, cash flow, fundraising and everything. But what I always remembered and to the dates that I always kind of focus on is creating the value and it's one of the advice that I got from um, my um, father was that if you chase the value and if you're constantly working on the the value of the what you're doing then the money will follow so it was actually very true for our case we constantly kind of developed our device and met with lots of people throughout that process we met with angel investors we even had we met with VC through that process so I guess um, like we always focused on uh, what we were doing and the funding kind of followed. If you if you look back at your time, especially in the early days, right? I mean, you're you're you know over three years into the journey. Um, you know, there's nowadays 
you know, starting a company or starting a startup is, is really kind of, you know, becoming something that is more accessible or more transparent in a sense, right? There's accelerators, there's incubators, there's all these different kind of things, right? There's especially, you know, in, in the bigger hubs of, of, of the world, right? There is a community around that, right? And there's so many different offerings, so many different pathways to kind of go. If you look back at, in, you know, at your time, what do you think is something that, you know, your biggest learnings in the sense of like, okay, this was, you know, this was more or less unnecessary. Those are core things which were kind of important for us to really get to the next stage, right? And not kind mm -hmm. of waste time on things that are unnecessary. Mm, that's a really good point. I have to say that it really depends on how you kind of take advantage of what you're doing. So for example, accelerator uh, programs, also finding out which one is helpful for you or not. I would absolutely talk with other people who've joined the accelerator program because as you mentioned, there are lots now and some are you know, like more beneficial for your project. Um, as to not so much to um, the others. So like really kind of identifying what kind of programs that you feel like is suitable for you is really important. I kind of tend to take most of like opportunity where you can meet with lots of people. And we really had initial team members join us through those pitching events. And we went to pitch events, not to just to raise funds at all, but actually meeting with lots of people who are aligned with what we are trying to do and um, really made an incredible network through that. So I think it's not a matter of whether I should do this or that. It's more about what do I want to get out of this um, um, kind of event or like a program. Mm -hmm. And if you're clear with that and you talk with other people about whether this program was helpful or not is actually quite important. So you are kind of doing your own due diligence yeah. before you kind of start doing something. Right. Yeah. So um, let's talk about your first, uh, let's say, you know, your first pitches or your first kind of round of collecting uh, funding. Um, you know, obviously for you, again, that probably was your first experience and, uh, you know, uh, building a pitch deck, you know, talking to investors, uh, you talked about your great advice uh, from your father, uh, you know, let's talk about this kind of like early or first funding that you that you got, you know, uh, what was it based on? How, how was the process for you? Let, let's let's talk about that. Of course, so very first funding that we did actually um, was when we were graduating from university. So mm -hmm. the university decided to invest in Sharko. And as of that round, um, some of the angels who were friends and family invested in Sharko and um, team members, friends and family as well. At that time, we also had the MedTech Super Connector program who invested in Sharko. Well, it was a grant actually. So it was a combination of that, of um, you know, early on investors of university, some friends and families, and also the grants that we received was our first fundraising. I think at that time, uh, you really kind of, friends and family do, like they mean a lot because they're kind of endorsing your journey. At that time, um, we even had people with Parkinson's opening up a, a crowdfunding where they donated about 20K. And that really encouraged us that yeah this project that we we're going to work on is important for um, people with Parkinson's. So it was that um, that really helped us. 
The second fundraising was a bit more um, different because we actually had the venture capital who joined us, um, although it was a very early on um, uh, um, kind of company. And uh, at the same time, Imperial College also joined the round. Um, we actually met with like incredible people throughout the fundraising process. Um, when you, obviously we got rejected quite a lot as well, but when you get rejected, it's actually like really important to ask them, could you give us some advice of like why yeah. you didn't invest or like also really listening to their questions because all the questions that they're asking are likely that other investors will ask as well. And the reason why they're not investing is also very important for you to understand to go to other investors or you may just not have clarified what you're doing as well. So uh, what I think um, as a team we did well is that we really um, loved getting questions because we always saw that as a, a way of development and we also really appreciated what the reason is um, if they did say no. So um, I think that was the key kind of takeaways for our fundraising. Um, business plans and all the data room, all of those things, we got a lot of advice from other founders to actually work on it. Um, pitch deck, um, with pitch, I like I cannot be more grateful to Cambridge Judge Business School because they really trained us well for when it comes to pitching. So constantly kind of getting advice from others um, really helped us grow our skills. Interesting. So, um, you know, you are a, 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 a medtech company, more yes. to say, right? So, and um, medtech is is a is a fascinating field because it's very, very um, impactful in the sense, you know, that there's a huge kind of um, emotional component in, in the sense of you know building building a venture into that. Uh, however, at the same time, because uh, obviously you're you know doing something for you know the health of human uh, humans it's a it's a very difficult difficult market difficult vertical to kind of build products in because uh, it's not b2b software right uh, so, uh, so kind of going into the different maturity stages of product development and go to market with let's say you know approvals clinical trials etc that is a journey so Absolutely. let's talk about you know these different steps that lead towards um bringing such a product to market right to to the, mm. to the actual consumer let's talk Absolutely. let's guide let guide us through these individual stages and you know please talk about as well where you guys are um are at right now and how that journey is for you going so far Sure, absolutely. So um, medtech uh, sector is really like rewarding at the same time, as you mentioned, it is, there are lots of hurdles. Um, I'm sure like any other startups have their own like hurdles, but medtech definitely have quite of a um, hurdles that we want to have an idea of what we're getting through in the beginning. For us, it really helped us to actually have joined MedTech Super Connected early on, really, really early on. And there are a couple of things that we learned through that program, which is including, you know, what you mentioned about clinical trials, regulations, and on top of that, health economic analysis, insurance, healthcare systems, stakeholders, and so on. So, and if you kind of look into all of those separately, then it becomes really kind of, um, 
it, it became it becomes quite confusing if everything is kind of separate. But really, like what I've learned over the years is that all of these are actually quite connected. So if I may say, like we're developing a device and we have to develop the device under ISO 3485, which is the quality management system for a medical device company. And what, what is it? It's basically a good practice for a company to adhere to, to come up with a good product and documentations and technical file development and everything needs to adhere to that. And now why is that really important? Because it becomes a safety of the, um, the device. And then where does the regulations come from is this, you know, quality management system and also the technical files and all the development side of the things. Again, it is to do with the safety and making sure the company is adhering to the, the um, quality process and um, uh, the regulations so that it is not only safe for people with Parkinson's, but patients, but also it is very important that is um, uh, uh, the efficacy of the device. So then is when all the clinical trials comes in. So, you know, like regulation is combination of all of those things and clinical trial actually goes into one of the things where we are proving the efficacy of the device as a medical device. So if you're classed as a medical device, the device sh should be uh, effective for people with long-term conditions and it is way of protecting the patient is what I say. So. Although regulation is um, tough, I think it's absolutely necessary things that we have. It is um, giving, it is on a patient's good. Um, health economic analysis, what, what kind of part does it take, which I think is a fascinating kind of sector, is making sure that the intervention that we are making is, as you mentioned, the economically uh, viable kind of product. So while we are doing that, when we are collecting the data through the clinical trial, we'll be looking into the data of how can this benefit um, the society as a whole. So for example, by using the Q1 device, how much of full reduction today do we have? And then it, it doesn't make sense for NHS to fund the device because it reduces their cost in overall kind of things. So for us to actually work on this, all of the kind of um, uh, like uh, data point and information is the thing that leads on to getting the device for people with long-term conditions. So actually, uh, and then there's an interesting thing where we work on a um, you know EU and UK um, regulations, and then when we go to another country, we might have to come up with slightly different data sets so that we can prove in their own country what are they looking on and so on. So we've been working on um, like US, as I mentioned earlier, and then South Korea and Japan, like all the other countries, um, Australia, um, New Zealand and so on, because we want to get the devices to people as soon as possible. As part of that, we've been always communicating with people with Parkinson's from each country because as a small startup, it is difficult for us to, you know, open up like 50 different uh, continents to kind of like get the devices to them. But what we've been doing is really identifying where the needs are coming from so that we can get the devices to them as soon as possible. So, yeah, like as you mentioned, all the kind of, um, uh, kind of regulations and uh, clinical trials and so on, is um is a challenge, but if you actually draw the whole picture and then connect all the dots together, it starts making a lot of sense. We've got a couple of um clinical trials going on actually with a lot of case studies going on, which are all kind of combining together to 
and prove the efficacy of the device um, in multiple ways. Very interesting. So, you know, because it's uh, and because it's such a long journey, right, to, to actually get the device into the uh, hand of the hand of the patient, um, there is obviously a, a very thorough uh, kind of structure around funding that is necessary to be done, right? And um, because there's multiple kind of valleys of death that you that you eventually will go through. And um, talk me or guide me through your kind of, um, you know, approach towards structuring your funding, you know, in the sense of like, okay, we will reach, um, you know, the market, let's say in X, this is how much money we need to uh, need to have. What rounds do we need to raise? You raised money before. So, you know, guide us through through your kind of um, approach to that. Yeah, absolutely. So really kind of understanding what do we want to do with the funds that we're raising and what are the next milestone that we want to achieve. And I know this is a but it is actually true like really identifying how much do i need um to tackle which part of the business to take up to the um, next stage and i think um there is kind of uh every founder have different way of uh fundraising in our case um really looking into the bigger pie was important than kind of trying to keep my equity because What's more important is getting that as getting the devices and intervention for people with Parkinson's rather than kind of um, keeping the company to myself. And we really went for aggressive kind of growth. And the reason for that and the motivation is because people are waiting. That, mm. that was all. Mm-hmm. And for us to actually really look into uh, the fundraising is um, what kind of uh, priorities do we have? Um, what kind of stages of development of the product do we want to have, but also really looking into the current status of the um, the uh, economy or like social movement or anything like that. So, for example, um, last year we closed around um, around I believe like September this time, and the reason why we raised significant amount of funding is because we were very much aware of the component shortage. So you have to really kind of think about what kind of risk can be um, introduced and not just raise right amount is my my opinion, especially maybe it could be just medtech, but just raising right amount, I think can be dangerous. You really want to think about buffer because fundraising does take a lot of time for the um, founders and the management team and you have when you have to really focus on building the company. So if you kind of don't raise enough, you might have to come enough time to build your company first. So I think it's really important not to get into this position of chasing money all the time, rather making big steps. So let the fund come in because you're making big steps rather than yourself just raising the right amount and then having to really convince investors to invest again and then so on, which kind of changes the who's kind of leading the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. Did you did you face, um, let's say, challenges in the process um, of fundraising for, um, uh, for your venture? So uh, for the round that you just mentioned, you you went for an aggressive, let's say, fund, fundraising approach in order to have the buffer 
right? So that's obviously a larger amount to be raised mm -hmm. um, with obviously the associated risk of a medtech startup of, let's say, pushing it, you know, through the different kind of stages that you have in front of you. Um, did you have challenges? And if, if so, um, obviously there's been plenty of rejections, but let's say, you know, let's talk about the hesitations of other investors versus let's say the ones that backed you, you know? Absolutely. So um, we are quite keen to raise funds from people who are relevant. I think that was actually really important. So our investors consist of deep tech um, investors, you know, really like um, high networked um, investors or like med tech investors or uh, deep tech. So I think one of the things that we were quite um, keen on is rather than kind of looking into whoever gives us the most valuation, because we did actually have investors who were going to give us more valuation. We really went into what kind of um, benefit can they give us more, like what kind of network or support can they um, bring us. So the, the strategic investment was something that we were really looking into. Um, obviously, throughout the investment uh, negotiation, there is a lot of discussion going on, but really kind of, identifying what do you really need from this investment round um, I think is a really important thing like what kind of things are you ready to uh, give away what kind of things are you do you have to keep to yourself was something that really um, was important um, setting kind of um, um, like uh, limit is actually quite important as well. Like to what um, point are you going to raise? So if you're going to close the rounds by March, for example, kind of setting a strong deadline into it, kind of setting a strong uh, limit to what kind of valuation that you would be kind of going uh, towards to is really important guideline for you to keep on track with your um, funding raise. Right. So if you look back at that, you know, to that fundraising period for you personally, what was the toughest, let's say, aspect of the fundraising process? If you look back. Toughest aspect. Um, I have to say um, the toughest aspect I have to say is making sure that we are running the company at the same time of raising funds is really important. Um, because it's really easy to get into your fundraising and then you kind of let your business kind of um, get less attention. It's classic and a very common thing that you can fall into. So we kind of had to make sure that we are not uh, so slowing down. And I think this is one of the things that our team was absolutely amazing at, where they were making sure that the company is running and they updated me with the right time when whilst I kind of go external and talking with the um, uh, investors and so on. So I think that was one of the things that I really always try to pay attention on. But obviously, there are lots of things where when we had to go through the um, due diligence and uh, realize, you know, uh, it wasn't kind of right fit for us and the time is wasted and so on. But one thing if I can kind of mention on this, like feeling like your time is wasted is that you can kind of convert that into it's not a time waste. So even though you say you get a no, if you learn from that experience, it can be like your learning points for the future uh, meeting with other investors um, and uh, keeping the conversation warm and everything was very, very important. 
Very interesting. So um, if you if you think about kind of um, the you know the this regulatory aspect, uh, one question that I had in mind as well is um, you know the difference between Europe and the U.S. from a, let's say um, you know business perspective is obviously that you have a very large you know singular market facing let's say multiple smaller markets right and my question to you is because uh, this is something that i've talked to with other founders in in let's say the digital health or in the in the medtech space as well is that uh, oftentimes it is easier to first enter the us market so to go for the fda and then you know have this large kind of you know market with the us and canada to kind of tackle and then you know kind of and simultaneously after, or, you know, closely following after that to, to do Europe as well. But let's say because the US is just so huge and, you know, going through that process gives you such a large field to play with kind of. It, it is very true. I do have to say that I do agree because there is language and everything that we have to um, take under consideration when we are entering um kind of um, place. But uh, the reason why we are kind of uh, taking this at the same time, it hugely kind of is driven by the waiting list. So the reason why our next go-to is US is because of the waiting list that we have. So the promise that we made with the community is that we are taking the waiting list and they don't have to pay anything. They just have to tell us the location. It's for us to understand where the needs are coming from. Mm -hmm. Very, very naturally, um, it was UK first, US second, and then like any other country. So at the moment, we are basically working towards to where the demand is more, where, where are um, people who are waiting for the devices. So that's kind of what we are aiming for. But you're absolutely right, Jonathan, where most of times when medical device um, companies decide on which market to go into is which regulation do we open up first, where is the most beneficial place for them to start the, the journey for us. Uh, we started from the UK, we're opening up EU, but at the same time, we are strongly working on the US so that we can get them um, as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. last question on, on fundraising, you know, because I just had this pop up in my mind again. Um, how many how many rounds did you raise um, after, let's say, the initial um, angel round, so to say? Yeah, so we had pre-seed and seed. So I think, yeah, all together we had three. After the um, the, the initial round, we had two. Okay, so um, uh, pre-seed, how, how much did you raise in pre-seed? So pre-seed, I believe we raised, gosh, I think it was about 500K. Okay. And in combination, the um, seed round was about uh, 10 million. So yeah, we, we raised quite significant amount as a seed uh, investment. So the distribution between, let's say, pre-seed and, um, and seed round, uh, in terms of the number of VCs that you approach, how much, how much was that? So for pre-seed and seed, would you say? So pre-seed, we had three. And um, seed round, we actually had five. Yes. So, so, sorry, let me rephrase the question. I mean, how many pitches did you have in total? So how, oh, many, how many pitches did exactly. you have? How many investors uh, did you talk to? Mm, that's a really great question. I don't have a record into that, but I have to say we didn't actually talk with that many investors. Really? And uh, uh, No, not at all. And I have to say the reason is because 
we actually opened the round because the VC were really keen to invest <laughs> in us. So uh, I know it might sound, sound arrogant, but um, lots of investors. So for example, if I can say Amadeus invested in our pre-seed and then they followed on with the seed round. Imperial invested with the Parkhook fund uh, for our pre-seed and Imperial uh, Parkhook invested with their main fund. Krista Gali invested with the pre-seed and then they invested again. So I think it was a lot of investors. And then like Mint Ventures, they approached us um, by seeing us on the LinkedIn. We did have a lot of other investors who contacted us, but in the end, we kind of chose to go for uh, the investors who were right at that stage. But yeah, I don't think we actually talked with a lot of bunch of investors. Um, probably because uh, our investors were very much aligned with the vision that we were going for. They really understood the value that Shalko is trying to bring. So yeah, we didn't actually talk with like, we, we didn't have like list of VCs that we were going to contact. <laughs> Interesting. So, um, you know, maybe as a, uh, as a more, let's say product related question. Um, so what is um, for you kind of um, the, has been kind of the biggest milestone product-wise um, that you that you achieved uh, in your journey um, so far, where you say like, okay, you know, we've come so far from let's say all these different prototypes to you know the the stage you you guys are at right now with the with the product. What it has, what is kind of like one incredible, one incredible kind of insight or something you know that you're really proud of. I I have to say. Mm. There are lots of moments I have to say. Every time anyone with Parkinson's who send us message saying that, oh, I can go and do this more. Now I can go yeah. and do this. Like that moments are the best. But most recently, um, I met with this gentleman uh, who's using the Q1 device. And like he was like, he actually called us because he was saying like, I want to meet with the team. There's some feedback that I want to give. So I thought he was a bit upset. So I drove down to um, Wales to meet him. But I could see that he was just using the device all the time, constantly. But what he was saying was absolutely incredible. He was saying he wanted to be basically a product advisor because he wanted to share the um, the benefit that he's getting and the learnings that he had through using the device to other people with Parkinson's. And that was kind of not a company to uh, um, like, you know, we never used the word consumer, by the way, but it wasn't a company to consumer. It was exactly what we wanted as, you know, Sharko, Team Sharko to community members that we are bringing the value to. And they were just really keen to engage with further community to help other people and I think those moments when people with Parkinson's say about Oshako is working hard to bring back smiles for people with Parkinson's, so repeating our mission statements, those are the key moments that I really feel like, you know, like we've we've worked hard. Uh -huh. <laughs> we did a, you know, <laughs> we did a good job. <laughs> Interesting. So maybe maybe as a as a um, you know, kind of a last question uh, to 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 um, to follow up with what's what's really kind of you know the next big milestone for you guys in let's say the next um year right if if we take that as the time frame uh you raised substantial funding last year so um what's kind of a major milestone for you to achieve 
Next year milestone, I have to say, is getting the devices, more devices to people with Parkinson's and learning more about um, how we can improve uh, the understanding of the which stimulation fits better with um, stages and profile of uh, individuals. So basically learning more so we can provide more information to people with Parkinson's so that they can tune the stimulation better. We are working on the next stage of the development, which is going to be closed loop um, device that knows what kind of symptoms people have um, and provide uh, suitable uh, stimulation. So I have to say, um, our uh, big milestone for next year is to learn more about Parkinson's and um, yeah, bring more smiles for people. Amazing. Hey, Lucy, thanks a lot for being on the show. It was really great having you on. Thank you so much.